After serving as senior pastor of Scottsdale Bible Church for 25 years, Dr. Daryl Delhuse was invited in 2006 to become the president of Phoenix Seminary, a nationally recognized theological seminary founded in 1988. This spring, the seminary moved from central Phoenix to their new home in our former Hayden Chapel, just east of our Shea campus. Since purchasing this property, they have renovated both the chapel and the administrative building. And on June 23rd, the board of directors broke ground on a new library and an additional 5,000 square foot classroom space, which they plan to open next summer. In the past year alone, the seminary's enrollment has grown by at least 15%, furthering their vision to train and equip the next generation of Christian leaders. We're excited to have this excellent seminary in our neighborhood and to expand our ministry partnership with them. Please join us in welcoming the president of Phoenix Seminary and our pastor emeritus, Dr. Daryl Delhuse. Thank you. Thank you and good morning. A couple weeks ago, my uh, youngest of my six grandchildren came up to me, little Claire. She's four. And she looks at me, and you know, the way I describe Claire is a, a doll in one hand and a gun in the other. And she comes up to me and she says, Pops, I know why you preach. I thought, well, this is going to be profound. So Claire, why, why, why does Pops preach? She says, because you know stuff. <laughs> so apparently I know stuff, and I want to share some of that stuff with you this morning. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And while you're doing that, I want to ask you this question. Do you believe, do you believe that God actually has a personalized plan for your life? Or, or, or do you believe that really is a roll of the dice? I mean, apparently the Apostle Paul thought so. That is, there was a plan in Philippians 1, 6. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you, a plan in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I know God used to have plans for his people. Jeremiah declares, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and, and a future. Because if there is a plan, then all of a sudden, all the nonsense that comes into my life over all these years possibly could make sense. I mean, when you think of the things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the pain, the things that I don't like that happened in my life, and the things I loved, could it be that they're all pieces of a puzzle they're all connected, that somehow they all produce something that's actually called the plan of God for my life. Our problems, we've got some nose problems here. Because God's packed every one of our lives like he's packed a bag. And he's got good things in there, bad, but he has everything packed in the bag needed to produce whatever plan he has for you and for me. The only trouble is I stick my nose in everybody else's bag. I, I, I want to know, how come I don't have what you have? How come I can't do what you do? And meanwhile, we just slowly glance at our own bag. We don't like some stuff in there, so we get bitter towards the bag. But not if there is some kind of plan unfolding and it all makes sense. And so the, the, we have the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, and Solomon comes to the end of his life. The, the man's life was fantasy. Guy was the king. No one pushes him around. The, the guy has 700 wives, 300 concubines. We won't go anywhere with that. 
The guy goes in, he has indeed double portion of wisdom. He has pools, gardens, magnificent alms. The ancient historian Josephus, Flavius Josephus tells us that he had chariots and he had young men with long golden blonde hair and from time to time he would sprinkle their hair with gold dust and, and then he would be in the center of his chariot and it'd go through the kingdom as their heads glisten. This, I'm not making this stuff up. This guy had his own testimony. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse. So at the end of his life, he puts together his diary, his personal journal. And he says, let me tell you what I've learned. Double portion of wisdom. Man of God, this is what God causes him to have insight on what he's learned. And he's learned there's a plan. Most people don't like or have ever read the book of Ecclesiastes. One, because the way it begins, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Some people misconstrue the word havel to mean meaningless, meaningless. doesn't mean that. It means vaporous. Solomon says, what I've learned, you're going to enjoy life. You're going to enjoy it. You better have the wisdom to extract enjoyment like you extract enjoyment from a vapor. That's what the word havel means. Life is vaporous. Slip right through your fingers. And you're not going to enjoy it in the future. You can plan for the future. And you're not going to ever experience life in the past. You can learn from the past. But there's a window that you extract enjoyment of life. It's always in the moment. It's always in the moment like a vapor. Like I've shared with you before, it's like this conveyor belt. And every 24 hours, you get an apple. And the idea is every 24 hours, take a big luscious bite of the apple. But oh no, not us. We're either looking down thinking, boy, I'll tell you, I can't wait until that apple, when my ship comes in, when I graduate, when I finally get that bonus, win, 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 and we keep looking for that apple someday that may be coming down the conveyor belt, and the apple we have right in front of us goes by untouched. Or we're all caught up with the apples of the past, and we all think, well, it's sure not like that. It sure wasn't like that. And so we don't even touch the apple in front of us. And Solomon basically says that is so foolish because God's packing your bag with a plan. So is there a plan? Look at verse 1 of chapter 3 here in Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, there's an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. To give you a literal Hebrew rendering, it's to all a set time and a time for every purpose under heaven. Though the word here for, for, for a time is the word zaman, and it means a season. That life is not just one narration. That maybe you messed it up as a kid. Or maybe you make mistakes, you blew it. And what you've seen with the testimonies of the baptism is that, oh, no, no, no. Life is basically a composite of season after season. New starts, fresh starts. And so he says here, there's a purpose, a delight, a pleasure, a reason for everything and anything that ever comes into your bag that is in your life. There is a plan. Psalm 37 says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. He's engaged in what he's producing and permitting to be produced in your life. It's all according to the plan. So Solomon illustrates this with a poem. And his poem is one of the more uh, uh, studied poems in universities because it's considered to be one of the greatest pieces of Hebrew literature. This poem from Solomon. And for those of you who are a little retro, I go back to 1965. I'm 16 years old. 
cool time. Because that's when Pete Seeger's song was sung by the birds. Remember, turn, turn, turn. I mean, when's the last time did you ever see a portion of the Bible hit the top charts? Oh, I tell you, those were groovy times. And I don't care. I like the word groovy. I like the word swell. I like the word nifty. We need to bring those words back in here. But the fact is simply this. That song, turn, turn, turn. There is a time. There is a time. There is a time. A season, a season, a season. It's all based on this poem. Actually, it is this poem. So what we have here is basically in these verses, you have seven verses, and they are basically pairs, pairs of statement. In Hebrew literature, Hebrew poetry, it was the way you structured a paragraph. And when you double the seven to the Hebrew, seven was the perfect number. You double the seven pairs, it intensifies it. What he's simply saying is that there's no oops in your life. This is a description, a bad case of the normals of everybody's life. These are all the different pieces that will be part of one's life, will be packed into your bag that we tend to get bitter towards. And so look at the plan summarized in this poem. Pick it up in verse 2. He says, now there's a time to give birth and a time to die. Don't have a lot of power over those things, but it's true. We are all born, and last time I looked, uh, people die. Then he says, there's a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. There's times in your season you're going to be building something new. A family, a new home, a business, an education, a degree, whatever it might be. But there's going to be times that it's going to be uprooted and taken away. Times of building, and you're going to have some times of losing. A time to kill and a time to heal. It's going to be time that life is going to be taken, but there's going to be times that, that you're going to see healing in your life, healing in the lives of people around you. But not always. Sometimes people we love die. There's going to be a time to tear down, time to build up. Other times there's going to be other people who are going to rip apart what you put your energy to try to build. This is normal. It's called life. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh. Times are not always going to be good. You have permission to cry, but there's also you have permission to laugh. And don't make up your mind, well, my life is just horrible, so I'm going to cry my whole life. On the other hand, you, even if you're Cajun French, you don't laugh your whole life. He says there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's going to be a time that you're going to be grieving, but, but, but there's also a time to, to, to dance, some better than, than others. He says, there's a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones. Some field is talking about that in times of war, uh, you, you threw, put stones in your fields so that the enemy could not go ahead and use those fields. Or for a shepherd, the stones represent a number of sheep. Or for a, a, a businessman, a number of sales. You're going to sometimes be successful, and there's going to be times you're not going to be so successful. There's a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. There's times you don't want to be touched. Would you just leave me alone? You know, I, 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 there's some sorrow here. You know, we, we, we think we ought to get medicated for sorrow. You know, all the emotions have a purpose. Love, the emotion of, of affection moves you to serve somebody. Uh, the emotion of, 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 of fear moves you to run or, or, or to fight. Uh, the emotion of anger moves you to correct something that's unjust or wrong, but what about the emotion of sorrow? Let's medicate it. Run from, no, no. Sorrow has a purpose as well, and that's to get you to reflect, to think, 
to remember. He says there's going to be a time to search and a time to give up as loss. There's some things that you're going to be going for and sometimes things you're not ever going to find. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There are some times we get stuck in seasons of the past because we have the same dreams and the same goals and we will not release them. One day you wake up, gentlemen, and it hits you, I'm not going to be a fireman. And it breaks your heart. I'm just going to be something else. But can you? That's the wisdom of moving from one, one season to another. Is there certain dreams that you let go? He says there's a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. That, that was a, a reference to when you lost some of your family. You would tear your garments. It was a time of grieving. But then he says there's a time of sewing together. There's a time to stop grieving. Yeah, we grieve, like Paul says, but not like those who have no hope. You do understand. Grieving when you lose a child, a loved one. Uh, but that's about your pain. There's a point that you stop grieving and stop getting over your pain and you start remembering. It was 13 years ago we lost my nephew Austin. He was just two weeks before his seventh birthday. Multiple tumors in his head, he dies. Family, we decided that we were grieving. For a couple years, we, we, we grieved, we cried. But we decided, you know, enough of that. Now it's time to remember Austin. Now it's time to remember it's not about my pain. Some people say, all right, we don't want to talk about it. We don't bring his name up. We, we don't even think about it because it's too painful. How selfish can one be when his legacy has been left for you to remember? And remember the sweetness of this young man. And his life still affects my life. I have a memorial in the back of my little Mini Cooper remembering Austin Moore. There's a time to sew together. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Some of my most effective teaching has been when I kept my mouth shut. He says there's a time to love and a time to hate. You say, I understand the love part. What, what, what's the hate? We don't hate. Sure we do. When young Abraham Lincoln was in New Orleans, and when he first saw on the slave block the selling of human flesh, he felt such anger and such hate that he made a commitment to God that if he ever could do something about that, he would. And he did when he became president, and he cost him his life. Now, there's a time we hate because there's a time of war. There's a time for peace. Basically saying, this is the fullness of life. This is basically the fullness of life. And these are all the different things that are packed in your bag. Now, the question is, is wisdom is, how do I move from one season to another? Because there's some things in the past season, dreams and goals that I had that cannot be accomplished in this season. Holly and I are moving into our 70s. Uh, this year we turned 68. She turned 68 in May 16th. I turned 68 this coming September. I got to be careful about that because Holly doesn't like the word cougar. But, but the point basically is, 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 is this. It, is this, is that people ask me, I used to play competitive tennis. Well, do you play tennis anymore? Not in this body. You know, it's like when you were born and when you're young, you're sealed into a car and the car works beautifully. I mean, the carburetor's clean, the, the, the tires are full, the engine works in harm and, and engaged and, and, and you really think you're the car. You look in the mirror and it looks like this beautiful car and you kind of go, oh, oh, let's see from this angle, I like it. 
And then after a few years, this car gets beat up. And you got flat tires, and you got the back window busted out, and you got a carburetor clunks, the thing just kind of bears. And I'll tell you, you can't get out of the car because your soul is sealed. This body, you look in the mirror, you go, what? What happened? <laughs> Takes greater wisdom to navigate this car when it's all beat up than when you're young. But you begin to realize, but, but I don't feel like I look in the mirror. Even though everybody defines me by the way I look in the mirror, but my soul. Remember fractions? Remember when you were introduced to fractions, you know, in the fourth, fifth homeschools, first, second grade? Uh, remember, I wish they would have led with the larger, the bigger, the lower number, the smaller, the top number. That would have helped. So in my life, the top number is six, going to be 68. Oh. But the bottom number is what? Eternal soul. No wonder the soul in this beat-up body feels so young. Because compared to an eternal soul, this soul is still new. This is still fresh. And that's why I still want to live my life God's given me and have him put something in my bag. But I'm going to have to release some dreams and some goals that I'm never going to accomplish. So, Daryl, give them up. And now I'll begin to dream some new dreams. So Holly and I are going this next August. We're going to dream dreams and set goals for our 70s. Because I have friends in their 80s and it just doesn't look like a whole lot of fun. And you know, life is like a toilet paper. Have you noticed? At the very beginning, the thing just kind of rolls slowly. Boy, when you get towards the end, and I've asked people in their 80s, I said, did the 70s go slower? And they go, no, they go faster than your 60s. I remember last week, I turned 61. I don't remember 64 at all. And so the fact is, he makes the point, is that life is not one single narrative that ends up tragic or not. It's not, well, I blew this, I did this, and so now my life is over forever. No, no, life is composed of many, many seasons. Fresh starts, take the wisdom from the last season, bring it to the new one, know what you've learned, but now new goals, new dreams. And introduce yourself to God's got something new for you. See, that's what wisdom is all about that he's talking about. So he quickly explains this in verses 9 and following. Listen to what he says. What profit, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? Well, what's going to be left over after all your hard work at just living life? I have seen the task which God has given to the sons of men which will occupy themselves. To occupy ourselves, the word occupy means to be humbled by. Either you can fight life, be bitter towards life, medicate and run from life, or you can embrace it and let it humble you. To humble means to embrace it. Okay, God, this is my bag, good, bad, and ugly. This is my life. This is who I am. This is what you're putting together for me. I'm going to embrace it and submit to it. So he says, verse 8, 11, he says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. The word appropriate is interesting. This is New American Standard. Uh, King James puts the word beauty, beautiful. God makes everything beautiful in its time. You know, the beauty is never in the parts. Matter of fact, he goes on, he says, but here's our problem. He has set eternity in their heart 
Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. The third eternity, this word is olam. God has put olam in our heart. That's this deep desire to want to know the whole plan. I want to know how it starts. I want to know how it ends. I want the picture done, painted, puzzles complete. I want to see the whole thing finished before I'm going to accept the different parts and declare them beautiful or appropriate. This word appropriate, the Hebrew word is yafar. It means the absence of being afraid that something's wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with your bag. There's nothing wrong with the plan God has for your life. But the beauty's never in the parts. Holly and I, uh, we, 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 we were watching and we saw Hacksaw Ridge again. That's a very painful movie to see. But what a remarkable movie to see. And those of you who haven't seen it, I really would encourage you to see it. A young man thought to be a coward because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And he will not kill, will not even touch a gun. World War II, they beat him up thinking he's a coward. And he goes to war with them without a gun. He's a medic. He's the first, the first conscientious objector who went to battle and won the Congressional Medal of Honor. It's his story. But you watch the movie, and if you go in and watch the wrong 10 minutes, it's horrible. It's horrific. You got pieces of, Mel Gibson, he's got a thing of blowing bodies apart. Because you see pieces of bodies of Japanese and Americans, and, and if you go in the wrong time, there's parts in that movie that make you want to run. But you put all the parts together, and you're moved to tears and inspired to courage. So it is with God's plan for our life, for our life. The beauty of the plan is not in the parts, it's in the whole. But Paul, God says, even though we have Olam, the desire to see the whole, I want to see how it all is going to turn out. But God says, you're finite, you're not going to see how it all turn out. So humble yourself, this is how, why we fear God. God, if I can understand the plan, I better trust the hand behind the plan. And that's what he's talking about. So what do I do now? If I never see how all of this makes sense. Well, verses 12 and he closes. I know there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man should eat and drink, see good in his labor, for it is a gift of God. You know what he says? Enjoy the sea. What are you supposed to do? Life is Havel. The only opportunity for you to enjoy anything is in the moment. Whatever season you're in, good, bad, ugly, painful, rejoicing, dancing, or mourning, to extract enjoyment from the moment. How do you do that? Notice he says it is a gift from God. And he mentions his eating and drinking. Interesting, because back in chapter 2, verse 24, says the same thing. Nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself his labor is good. For also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. He, he does it again in chapter 5, verse 18. Solomon, end of his life, he says, Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting. All right, here it comes. To eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself and all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him, has given your life, for this is his reward. What's this eating, drinking? Doesn't sound very spiritual to me. When do you enjoy eating? In the future, in the past, 
or in the present? In the present, unless it's Mexican food after seven, I've learned at my age. But normally it's in the moment, so it is with drinking. So this enjoyment of life, again, life is Havel. Don't think, well, I'm going to enjoy life in the future. You're never going to be there. Well, I really enjoyed life in the past. You're never going to go back there. You're always going to be in the present right now with a window. And if you're going to extract enjoyment of life as of a gift of God, it's going to be in the moment. Well, what do I do in this moment? Next verse. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor, for this is a gift of God. This word empower, we've talked about this before years ago. It's the Hebrew word shalat. It means to, to, to be given the capacity to extract enjoyment from a gift you've been given. Do you do understand there's two parts to any gift? I could offer you a gift of a wonderful steak at Ruth Chris. Meet you there tomorrow night. And we're going to have a steak together. There's the gift. What a blessing. But tomorrow morning, some reason, you got all your teeth knocked out. Now you show up because you are loyal and uh, the steaks are delivered and there's your gift, your steak. But you have no capacity. You can gum it, but that's not as much fun as chewing it. And so all of a sudden that gift becomes more of a curse. So it is. Every gift, every gift has two parts. The gift itself and the capacity to extract enjoyment from it. Everybody receives gifts from God. Not everybody receives shalat, the capacity to extract such enjoyment from it. Paul talks about this in Philippians 4 when he talks about contentment. The word contentment means I need no more to enjoy my life. I need no more to enjoy my life because God gives me shalat. He gives me a capacity to extract so much enjoyment from what I have in this moment, I need no more. So what is the key? Notice it says they acknowledge, we acknowledge it's from the hand of God. Every time that I with gratefulness express anything that I find in my bag, in my life, and I acknowledge it is from the hand of God. He empowers me to extract enjoyment from it, contentment from it, peace from it. He even gives me the capacity to enjoy what I don't have. We live here in Scottsdale. We drive around. There's some beautiful homes, huge, huge, beautiful homes. And you know, I drive by and I'm so grateful for our little townhouse because what was your APS bill this month? And I am grateful for my little townhouse. And I'm so sorry for you guys who have to pay these huge utility bills for your beautiful big homes. God can actually cause you to enjoy what you don't have. What's not packed in your bag. And thus this wonderful contentment. It comes down to, to, to this. There's a, there's a wonderful song that was written by Wayne Watson and Cynthia Clausen that I, I think summarizes the whole thing. The song says, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So, if you don't understand 
and, and you can't see the plan. If you can't even trace his hand, trust his heart. There's a God who's redeemed you. He gave you the big do-over when you came to Christ because of his provision of his own son on the cross. Talk about the big do-over. But here's the thing. You get do-overs again and again and again because life is not just one narrative, one story. You're still feeling guilt and shame because what you did in some past, some past season. Harvest the wisdom. Plan for the future. But extract every moment by understanding what God is packing in your bag, that apple in front of you this day. It may have some worms in it, but worms can be protein. <laughs> you take the biggest, luscious bite you can because it is given to you as a gift of God. And when God gives it to you and you give thanks and you acknowledge gratefulness, not become bitter towards it or medicate away from it, you'll find he'll shell out you. See, how do I remember that? Remember what we told you? That's easy. Just remember, hey, God, thanks Shalot. <laughs> Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the celebration of these baptisms and declarations. What wonderful stories of new seasons for each and every one of these. Lord, I would pray, those of us who are stuck, because we won't give up some dreams, we won't give up some goals, and that our life is different. Our family's different. Some of our families, we don't have everybody anymore that makes up our family, and, and it hurts. And yet, Lord, there's a time to remember and a time to embrace a new season, to make new goals, embrace new dreams for the new season, the adventure you have for us as you unfold this plan. And then one day, one day when we're in your presence, we'll turn around and we'll see all the pieces of the puzzle and we'll see how you've made all the parts beautiful in your time. We ask for this wisdom in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen. amen.